turn to 1 Samuel. I'll be in uh, parts of 1 Samuel 17 through 19, and maybe a couple of scriptures back in 2 Samuel 17, chapters 17 and 18 and 19, and then um, maybe back into 2 Samuel chapter 11. Uh, depends on how much I cover in this time. Um, I, uh, I don't pray at the end of the singing whenever I'm preaching because I'm going to pray just before I preach. And it will settle my heart and get me ready to preach. Gracious Father, we're so thankful for your goodness and your love. We're thankful that even when all is going wrong around us, you still are in control, have a purpose, and you are a God who loves us. You are good all the time. It's hard for us to see that sometimes in what we're going through or what's happening to those that we love. What's happening in our country, what's happening in the world, all of it seems so big. And we have no control over so many things. Lord, help us today to look at what was happening to David and and his answer to those things that are happening how you are able to work, how we can look to you for answers to our questions and just for our hope, we can trust you. For you have given us life in your family and we know that one day we will come into your, into heaven to be in our homes, to be with you forever so we can see you face to face. So Lord, teach us today. Help us to leave encouraged and excited about what's going on in our lives because of what you will do. And we'll praise you for it in Christ's name. Amen. So this morning we're going to look at some events in David's life. Then after I look at those events, um, what's going on, they're things that are out of David's control. He can't change what's going on. He can become a part of those events and in most cases he is a part but he can't change them and many times he doesn't know the outcome then we're going to look at God's intervention what does God do what happens in those events and then we're just going to have the result of that being David's praise of his God his Savior and Redeemer and we want to look at those things this morning, and, and the Psalms will be part of that. But the very first thing, I mean, everything in your life goes smoothly, right? You work hard. Uh, I went over to, uh, to Arts earlier this week to check out my truck. We're checking the plug in the back. Art's over there, and we plug it in, and nothing happens. None of the lights work. Nothing works. I thought I had everything right, and it didn't work, and Art and I chatted for a while, and we couldn't figure out what was going on. You know, if you're going to go pick up something, you want the lights to work. You want to be able to plug it in and know it's going to work. And sometimes things don't go as smoothly as you think. The story got worse because when we went to take the truck 
to go after what we needed that had other problems that had transpired from us working on it. And uh, so my wife took off alone, and then I went back into the truck and banged on the fuse board, and everything came back on and worked fine, and so everything was fine in the end. And I don't know, maybe the banging on the fuse board is what solved all the problems. I have no idea. All I know is that sometimes things don't go smooth. Sometimes they're worse than that. Sometimes you go to a doctor and find out there's something wrong with you that you didn't expect. You're hoping for a clean bill of health. And suddenly you have something you have to deal with. Life throws us curves all the time. The earth is not a place that's perfect. Because of sin and uh, the earth is slowly degrading and things aren't getting better and people don't live in harmony. We are not in control. You recognize that, especially in our own country when we see things changing and many of us think, what is going on? It's out of control. And there's nothing we can do to change it. We can't control it. It's bigger than we are. So how do we handle that? And and we're going to look at David, and we want to go to chapter 17. We talked about this last week a little bit, but I want to take you back to it and recognize uh, some of the things that happened to David. These will be things I didn't mention, some of them last week. But he goes, he's sent by his dad to take food and stuff to the troops and especially to his brothers, and to see how they're doing. How are things going? Get it, they're in battle, they're getting ready for battle. How, how's all that? Uh, what's happening? Dad wants to know. And he gets there, and uh, he hears these words. And in verse 25, David asked the men who were standing near him, What shall be done to the man who kills that Philistine and removes the shame from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine to defy the armies of the living God? The people repeated to him what was already said, that he was willing to richly reward the one by giving him a daughter and exempting his family from, uh, from other families, father's family in Israel from any of the taxes and so on that would be happening. And, uh, and uh, so they repeat that to him. And uh, then his son... His brother gets his oldest brother gets mad at him when he hears him conversing with the men and says, "Why really did you come here? With whom did you leave those few sheep in the desert? I am aware of your impudence and your ugly heart. You came to watch the fighting." David responded, "What have I done wrong by asking a question?" He then turned from him to another and put the same question to him, and the people gave the same answer. Now, notice. He gets there and, and he's just looking into things. He's just checking up. He took food. He delivered it. He actually left his sheep in the care of another keeper. So the sheep were taken care of. And all he's doing is inquiring. Uh, and he mentions that this Goliath is somebody who shouldn't be able to talk about the Lord like this and, and shouldn't be able to talk to the troops of the Lord like this. And and uh, his brother hears him and gets mad at him. Now that's not what you really expect. You expect if you're chatting, they'll fill you in and everything will be all right. But he says, I know your heart. 
he says, I, I, the way I look at you, and, and this is an, the older brother speaking, I, I think you're impudent and you have an ugly heart. All David was doing was inquiring. He wanted to know what was going on. And he found out what it would be. And, and David's words were noted and, and repeated to Saul who sent for him. David said to Saul, Let no one lose courage on his account. Your servant will go and fight with the Philistine. Now what you have to understand is back then lots of times, if you came to a point where one of the sets of troops was weaker than the other one, sometimes you'd get a chance to fight a one-on-one -on -one battle to... And that would, uh, that would give you the result. One group would... So the Philistines were offering. Here, this is what we'll give you. We'll send Goliath out. If you can beat him, you win. If we beat him, we win and you're our servants. So David goes to the king and says, I'll go out. I'll fight him. Now, you all know the description I gave last week of him. He was ruddy countenance. He was, he was a handsome man. And then we find out later he's a mighty warrior. He's got some beef to him. So this is a guy that has been around and done things that have made him strong and, and healthy. And, and he notes this. And Saul says, uh, you will not be able to tackle this still Philistine for combat because you are still young. And he is a warrior from his youth up. David answered, and you know what he answered if you were here last week? He answered that, well, I fought a lion and a bear to protect the sheep. And the Lord gave them to me. They, he put them in my hands. He helped me to win and defeat them. And he says, uh, God will do that again. I'll go out and I'll meet this guy. So keep in mind, all the rest of the troops, what are they doing? They're in terror because of how big this guy is. I mean, how would you like to be, you know, approximately my size and run into somebody who was four feet taller than you, carried a staff that was the size of one of the fence posts in the grape vineyards? That was his spear. And you think about that and you think, well, man, it's a big guy. All he'd have to do is hit me with his spear and that would be enough. It'd be over. And... I'm just a little guy. I take care of sheep. But he was possessed with the idea that he could go out and win. He told him. And so in his conversation, he says, um, Your servant has slain the lion as well as the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will go their way, since he has defied the drawn-up army of the living God. Then David added, The Lord who rescued me from the paws of the lion and the bear, he will rescue me from the hand of the Philistine. So, he's going into battle. It's not as expected. He didn't expect to get there and find out that the troops were being challenged by a single soldier. And didn't expect probably to find the, that he was that big. And yet, because of his history with a bear and a lion and caring for the sheep, he was determined that the Lord would take care of him when he walks into that arena and takes care of Goliath. Now, you hear what Goliath says, and uh, when we look at that uh, in verse... Um, I want to make sure I get the right verse here. Yes, in 
he sees uh, verse 42 of chapter 17. He starts out, When the Philistine laid eyes on David, he took a good look at him and disdained him because he was young, ruddy, and handsome. Am I a dog? The Philistine said to David, That you come at me with sticks? And he cursed him by his gods. Philistine further said to David, If you come at me, I will feed your body to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. And David answered, the Philistine, you are meeting me with sword and spear and javelin, but I meet you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Today the Lord will hand you over to me, and I will slay you and cut off your head. Now, David's resulting look is, yeah, this is not what I expected, but the Lord can do this. The Lord did it for me before, the Lord can do it here. So the event is, I didn't expect to get in this situation. I didn't come here to find out that our soldiers weren't fighting a battle and that they're terrorized by one man. But that's what I found. Now what do I do? And David puts himself in the situation of going to fight. You know the result. He he had five stones with him, uh, probably the size of baseballs and he slung the stone and hit Goliath in the head and it sunk into his forehead of course a stone that big at about 100 miles an hour would sink into anybody's forehead and it took him down and then he killed him and cut off his head so the Lord was the one who worked that out And that's what we're going to see each time, each event. This was one of the events David faced. Now you realize that at this time, David is anointed to be king, and Saul has been told he's going to lose his kingdom. He's no longer going to be there. The surprise is that Saul still rules 40 years as king. But it is taken from him. And what's Saul's feeling about that? David comes and, and I'll see what you know here. David comes to Saul for what reason? What did they bring David to Saul for in the first place? Play music with his harp. Because an evil spirit from the Lord had taken over Saul. And if he came and played with his harp, the spirit left him and he became uh, his old self again and uh, appropriate and was easy to be around. So David was the one who was called to do that. Now he has gone back to his sheep for a little while and as a result um, he goes to see these guys and he ends up killing Goliath and uh, at that point Saul wants to know who he is and he becomes his personal uh, uh, armor bearer and, uh, and player of the harp for him and so on. And so now he's in Saul's presence all the time. But when the evil spirit enters into him, as we'll see in uh, chapter 18, um, it starts when they, first it starts when they come back from one of their times fighting. And uh, in verse 8, it says of chapter 18, he says, Something happened, however, on their return trip from David's slaying of the Philistine. The women 
came out from all the Israelite towns to meet King Saul, singing and dancing to tambourines and making joy with cymbals. As they danced, the women sang. Now, up till then, it was perfect. Saul was very happy that they were coming out. And, but then he, they sang, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. This made Saul very angry. The refrain disgusted him. He said to himself, they ascribed to David ten thousands, to me only thousands. What more for him but the kingdom? From that day on, Saul kept an envious eye on David. The next day, an evil spirit from God took hold of Saul so that he raved inside his house while David, as usual, played the harp. In his hand, Saul had a spear, which he threw, intending to pin David to the wall. But twice, David escaped from his presence. Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him and had departed from Saul. So, Samuel comes to you and your anointed king. What do you expect to have happen? Saul was the first king. What happened to Saul? Boy, well, became the leader. He had a palace. He had people who served him. You can go on now with the description. He was well taken care of. So if he's going to lose the kingdom, David's going to get it. What does he expect to have happen? He expects to be the king and have all these things just like Saul did. He expects to be the ruler of a nation. But he isn't yet. Saul knows that this is the man. And David is the man. He's been anointed. But his life is not a simple life from this point on. This is just the first time of several times when Saul tries to pin him to a wall with his, with his spear. And he's still serving. David's staying there. He's still serving. He's still playing harp for him. When things don't go as you think they should, what do you do? Well, David stuck it out. Um, he continues to go and fight. So as a result, Saul's, with Saul's anger, Saul decides, okay, I've got to try and catch him. So he starts making up plans of ways he can get rid of David. First, he tries to get him married off to his oldest daughter. Then he'll get him distracted, and at the right moment, he'll take care of him. That doesn't work. He says, who am I? Who am I that I should be the king's son? I'm just from a lowly family. I'm a shepherd boy. That doesn't happen except in fairy tales, right? And that's sort of what David's saying. That just doesn't happen. You don't move up from shepherd boy to king's son, son-in-law. So... That's offered. David turns it down and then he offers him his other daughter who loves David. And that goes a little differently in that he offers him a way to become, a way to pay a dowry. And he has to get 204 skins or 104 skins of the Philistine. And he comes with 200. So he ends up being able to marry the daughter feeling like he proved himself and paid the price. So, at that point, everything looks fine, but when Saul, in 28, fully realized that the Lord was with David and that Michal, Saul's daughter, loved him, Saul feared David more than ever, and he remained David's enemy for life. 
So this isn't the way you expect kingship to go. You don't expect this trouble. So David is in the middle of that, and Saul over and over again attempts to kill him, and eventually comes to a place where he actually suggests, and that's in chapter 19, he says, Saul suggested to his son Jonathan and to all his attendees to bring about David's death. Now Jonathan loved David too, as a, his best friend and uh, confidant. The two of them are, were often together. Jonathan actually gave him all his armor so he could go out and fight. And um, uh, now Saul's suggesting to everybody who's under him, we've got to find a way to kill David. And Jonathan's the one who intercedes trying to change that. But Saul continues to do it. And if we continue to look at the story, what you slowly see happen is that every time, even when they eventually, he's chasing David down. He's chasing after David. His armies, David's crew, he's chasing them down, trying to kill them. David has opportunity once even to kill him. And he doesn't take the opportunity. Because this was God's anointed. Now, those are some things that were going on in David's life. Late in his life, of course, you all know the story of David and Bathsheba. Late in his life, he, he gets his eyes off his main uh, operation. David always went out to fight, even as king, always went out to fight. And, as, and what happens is he stays home one time and is at the top of his palace and sees this girl and tries to draw her in and eventually and does. She gets pregnant and he tries to get the husband home so that nobody knows about it. And uh, so he commits adultery. He's, he's got a child on the way and Uriah won't go and sleep with her, his wife because everybody's in battle. So eventually he has to go back to battle and he says, just send him on the front lines and then pull back from him so he'll get killed. So David actually works out the murder of Uriah. And in all of that sin, he stays for a fairly good period of time. Could be up to two years. And uh, by then they have a young son. But Nathan comes and confronts him. Now, David's not doing well during this time. Nathan comes and confronts him and talks about those two men uh, who have, uh, one has lots of flocks, the other has just one little lamb, and uh, the wealthier takes the little lamb away from him to, to uh, slaughter for his own. And uh, David gets angry. And Nathan says, well, you're the man. You're the one who did it. Now, David, uh, I don't think ever expected to be in this situation. But he was in the situation. And it looked like everything would fall apart at that point. But David responded by repenting. And getting his life back in order. All of these events are events that you would look at and say, boy, things just got out of control. 
if David had just, if Saul would just have been where God, if this and if that. And we often look at our life that way. If only they'd found out sooner, they could have done something about it. If only this, if only that. And how many times you say that to yourself, why is God doing this? Why is God allowing this? And we, we need an answer, but sometimes the answer isn't what we want to hear. At this point, we start looking at the responses, and I already talked about one, which I gave you that response right away, which was when he was with Goliath, he said, who would be the one who would give him the victory? The Lord would give him the victory. He saw the Lord in every one of these pictures. He wasn't looking at anything else. He, he was looking at the Lord. And uh, he says um, in uh, that first one we already talked about, I'm back in the wrong chapter now, there we go. He realizes that he's, he's having trouble and that uh, the Lord, the evil spirit is there and David plays and uh, he can't bring himself to do anything because he believed that God would care for him. That he would be the one. If he was anointed, the Lord would work it out. And even when he had opportunity, he said, but the Lord wouldn't want me to kill his anointed. He was doing everything the way God wanted him to do it. Because he trusted God to care for him. And where we find a lot of this out is in the Psalms when he starts talking about him. And uh, in Psalm 27, David talks about this. He says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Then he talks about, If the wicked came at me to eat my flesh, my adversaries and my foes, they stumbled and fell. Though an army should have camped against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war should rise up against me, I would still be confident. Because the Lord is my light and my salvation. The Lord is the stronghold of my life. And he's asked one thing of the Lord, that he could dwell in his house all the days of his life. To, and wanted to see the Lord's loveliness and uh, meditate in his temple. For in the day of trouble, he conceals me in his tabernacle. He hides me in the shelter of his tent. He lifts me up on a rock. Later, he says... Verse 7, Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud, be gracious to me and answer me. In thy behalf my, my heart proclaims, I like this statement, my heart says, seek the Lord. So his response is, thy face, Lord, will I seek. Have you ever been in that moment when you're struggling and your heart's telling you just, just go read scripture, just seek the Lord. Just go before the Lord. And many times we're still trying to work out ways to solve the problem. And he says, well, my heart told me, seek your faith, seek the Lord's face. And your Lord, your face, Lord, I will seek. Hide not thy face from me, put not thy servant away in anger. Thou art my help. Reject me not, neither forsake me, O God of my salvation. For even though my father and my mother forsake me, the Lord will take care of me. 
Teach me, O Lord, thy way, and lead me in an even path because of those who lie in wait for me. So at the end he says, What if I had not believed to see the Lord's goodness in the land of the living? Wait for the Lord. Take courage, and he will give strength to your heart. So David, in all of this struggle, all of these different things happening in his life, he says, but I listened to my heart and I, I sought out the Lord. He's the strength of my life. He's the God of my salvation. He controls all these things that are happening. And I know that he could know that if he were to be king, he was going to make it there. He didn't have to be afraid of that because the Lord would care for him even as he did before the lion and the bear. So in the end there when he says um, I, I he says uh, what if I always want to try and quote it in, the old, in my King James and it's not the same in here but it says uh, what if I had not believed to see the Lord's goodness in the land of the living what if I didn't believe that but he does he believes that God is going to care for him he says wait for the Lord take courage he will give strength to your hearts. Wait, I say in the Lord. You can be in the worst circumstance. Wait for the Lord. Wait on Him. Turn to Him. Remember who He is. Even, I went through prostate cancer and that was a little scary. And, and even then, the thought was, but my future is better than my presence here. I want to see this through God's eyes. If the worst happens, I'm in his presence. But what if I stay here? What does God want? What should happen? It's funny that uh, Don taught 1 Thessalonians 3 in my Sunday school class this morning, and I thought as he was teaching, he took all my thunder. Because in 1 Thessalonians, that's what he's talking about. As all these things happen, what are you going through these things for? Well, it causes you to look at God and in the process to grow at understanding who He is. If He is all the things we believe He is as we turn to the Scriptures, then God is always good. What He's trying to accomplish is my growth, that I might become more like Him. What He's trying to accomplish is that I'll seek out fellowship with those who love Him and not try and take it alone that I will get that encouragement from others he's trying to get us to look and say wait for the Lord and take courage he will give you strength wait for the Lord again in Psalm 66 I had him, had him read that and the remarkable thing here is this probably as as I read it and I've read commentators this probably relates to his sin with Bathsheba and coming back to Bathsheba coming back to God after that and the resulting some of the resulting phrases are in there but he starts out shouting joyfully to God all the earth sing out to glorify his name render him glorious praise and he and he keeps responding all the earth shall do the homage and sing shall sing to you they shall sing thy name he's recognizing who's in control 
even though we don't see any control, who is in control? If all of what's going on around us right now gives us the opportunity to do what God has made us His children to do, isn't that perfect? Isn't that what we need to see? We have a nation of people who need God. And right now, it looks like everything's spiraling out of control. But God's in control. And that's what David keeps going back to. My God is my salvation. He's the one in control of these situations. When the bear and the lion came, he was in control. When I went up against Goliath, he was in control. Even down to, what about my relationship with God? Here I sinned. I finally, I finally sinned in such a big way and, and feared God and, uh, and I've, I've recognized that I'm a sinner and he says, come and hear all who revere God. It's right at the end of chapter 66, 16 in the end. He says, come and hear all who revere God, and I will declare what he has done for my soul. I called out to him with my mouth and praised him with my tongue. If I regarded iniquity in my heart, I was sure the Lord would not hear. He was sure that the Lord wouldn't hear. But you know, the next word is but. But. But God certainly has heard. He has attended to the voice of my prayer. Blessed be God who has, tur- has turned away neither my prayer nor his covenant love from me. We have the unique situation of even when we have gone through sin and returned to God, that he will hear us. And that he, out of his love for us, will respond to us and love us. Because he loves us. As we turn, he accepts us back into that family, even when we totally mess up. And when I read it, oftentimes I think, how could he do that for David? Sometimes, you know, we can do that. We can look at other people and think what they're doing is way worse than what I did. But when you realize that sin before God is sin, And all of us are in the situation where we need to turn back to God. And we can see all the things uh, this morning in in 1 Thessalonians 3. It commented on, uh, we warned you what could happen to you. We warned you about the dangers because the Thessalonians were young believers. He he was warning them to look out, watch out for these things. Because they might get you off track. And here he's just reminding us that they could get us off track, but if we just would look back to God, we'd get a different perspective of our situation. See, our situation looks huge in comparison to us. But what happens when you put God into that situation? Well, God looks bigger than the situation. And He can handle it. I try to relate all these things to my own life because that's the best way for me to understand it. And uh, I've often thought, what would happen? You know, um, men, notoriously, if their wives pass away, men die shortly after. That's, a, that's the highest percentage. Apparently, we can't live without our wives. At least that's what it appears to be. It is true that we get very connected. And men sometimes struggle. But you know, if you get in your, and I've, 
this is what I'm striving to do all my life here. If I get so that the Lord is the center of my life, and my wife is the one that is at my side and that I'm at her side and we go through life together, I have lost my wife, but I have not lost my God. He's there to care for me. And I can go on living for him because he's the center of my life. The result of him being center makes me, perhaps, I hope, a better husband or better grandfather, father-in-law, whatever I happen to be, that I'm better at all of that, including being a friend. That's what you hope. Am I perfect at it? No. I've, I've often wished I could be. I would have saved myself a lot of heartache over the years. But you know, the heartache created change in my life. Sometimes simple things create that change. My young children, when we were first in Clay, New York, at our new house, we were living there and we were all together and uh, Anita went into Rachel's room, Rachel's room and saw big H's all over the wall. Big H's like this size H's in crayon all over the wall. And we didn't think Rachel knew how to write. So we blamed it on Josh. I don't know whether you still remember this or not. We blamed it on Josh. And Josh insisted it wasn't him. It wasn't me. And I kept insisting, well, Rachel can't do it, so you're the only other one. So in the end, I went in with him and we washed all the crayon off the walls. And when we came out, he said, Dad, I really didn't do it. And I said, it's just, I think all the evidence points to you. And then we decided... We gotten by that, I forgave him, and we got by that, and we were watching a kid's movie on TV, and all of a sudden, Rachel comes out of her bedroom, slaps the paper on the table. Look, Dad, look, Mom, look what I can do. And put a great big H on that piece of paper, just like the ones on the wall. Guess who did all that writing? You know how big I felt right then? I felt like I had blown it. My first opportunity to do it right in his young age, and I messed it up. And so I turned around. I sh- we shut the movie off, and I turned around. I, got, um, I was on my knees because he's short. And I said, uh, Josh, I'm really sorry. I was wrong. Will you forgive me? And... The little child says, Dad, I forgive you. I love you. And we went back to the movie. Everything was fine. I was crying. But they were all okay. God taught me hugely lessons that I needed to learn. And one of them was to be ready to say I'm sorry when I blow it. So whatever we go through often teaches us lessons. The times I was in the hospital, I was learning how to give my testimony in a hospital setting when I was the one they were working on. And I kept trying to be a good witness. You know what? one of the things you can do in your hospital? 
just be easy to take care of. I was on a floor where all the nurses wanted to come take care of me. Because I was easy to take care of. I wasn't grumpy or complaining or angry about what I was going through. And it gave me opportunities I would have never had any other way. Going through a situation when we look through God's eyes changes it. It's never easy to be sick. It's not easy to lose someone we love. All of those things were human. We respond to it. God responds to it too. And he'll give us the strength and the courage. Wait on the Lord. And he will strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. He gives grace for every situation. And ultimately, if we look at it in light of forever, it's a small event in our life. And that's what I want you to look at and say. To be like David, to say there's one thing that I desire of the Lord, and that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. To behold the beauty of the Lord and inquire in his temple. That I might be so locked in on God that my situation will seem small compared to the God who can take care of it. Let's have a word of prayer. Gracious Father, you are a great and amazing God. In your scripture, we plainly see that David went through many difficult situations, hardships, including ultimately the loss of his son through Bathsheba. Even that he knew was okay because he knew his son would be with you. Lord, we, we pray that as we talk to you about things, you will help us to stay close to you, that we would stay focused on you, that we would know that every event we go through has a purpose in our life, much of it to train us to be more like his son, Jesus Christ. Lord, help us to see your word that way. Help us to see the events we go through, through your eyes. Help us to grow closer and closer to you so that we might say, the Lord gives us the victory, that we might trust you. Because ultimately that's the bottom line, Lord, that we would just trust you and you would take care of all these things in our life. So teach us, Lord, today. Help us to be grateful for all that you've done, for you are indeed a good God. Thank you for loving us in Christ's name. Amen. Turn in our hymn books to 493. Last two messages, I basically worked on you seeing God and getting close to God and just getting your heart right with God. Because that'll be great benefit even in looking for a pastor. We need to be looking to God for that man and asking him to get us ready for that situation too. So we want to be living for him. Let's stand and sing, I'll live for him. My life, my love, I give to thee, thou Lamb of God who died for me. Oh, may I ever faithful be, my Savior and my God. I'll live for Him, 
who died for me, how happy then my life shall be. I'll live for him who died for me, my Savior and my God. I now believe thou hast received, for thou hast died that I might live. And now henceforth I'll trust in thee, my Savior and my God. I'll live for him who died for me, how happy then my life shall be. I'll live for him who died for me, my Savior and my God. Oh, thou who died on Calvary to save my soul and make me free, I'll consecrate my life to thee, my Savior and my God. I'll live for him who died for me, how happy then my life shall be. I'll live for him who died for me, my Savior and my God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you so much for your word, that it encourages and strengthens us. Thank you for letting us see men who struggled and and sometimes fell even as we do. But Lord, gave us pictures of you as a God who loves us, hears us, responds to us, and that, Lord, we might grow to respond to you better and better. Thank you for this time together. Help it to be a time of growth. In Christ's name, amen. You're dismissed.